Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game-based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. Minicoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out Minicoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Minicoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Minicoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today, I want to talk about something that's dominating the headlines, and that is the efforts by uh, employees of several Fortune 500 companies to unionize, companies that traditionally have not been union shops. And of course, that's Amazon and Starbucks and several other companies. Just a few headlines that are only a couple hours old as I record this. Amazon is facing another union vote right across the street from Staten Island Warehouse, where workers recently made history by voting to unionize. And then Starbucks workers in West Hartford pushed to unionize. Another headline, five Richmond Starbucks stores become first in Virginia to unionize. Generally, this is something that has been kind of a settled matter for a lot of my adult life. There's certain industries that are dominated by unions, certain areas, certain states or cities where you either have union labor dominating the market for the industries in that area. And and in those areas, if you are going to have non-union labor, you have to pay what's called prevailing wages. So this is something I've run across professionally many times and seen where precisely the same kind of work is priced hugely different rates depending upon whether the labor is going to be union labor or not. Now, like most narratives that are prevalent in our society, the standard narrative on labor and unions is a left-wing narrative, the one that we all learn in school, that before labor unions, there were evil robber barons who paid people slave wages and made them live in squalid tenements and exploited them while they became rich beyond the dreams of avarice. And then the government came in and rescued the working man from the exploitation of these robber barons. And somewhere along the line, we got weekends off because of this. That's kind of the cartoon version that you see on Twitter And I'm pretty sure that most people leave at least high school with, and in college, it's probably even worse. So I wanted to talk about unions from a free market perspective, 
and what I think is wrong with unions. I should say what I know is wrong with unions and how the problem started because I think most people intuitively would think, well, if unions are a voluntary organization where workers join this organization of free association to bargain collectively with an employer, then why isn't that part of the free market? And of course, the answer is it is. Certainly people have every right to associate in any way that they wish as long as they're not invading the property of others. But that last part is important, as long as they're not invading the property of others or invading the rights to freely associate of others. And that really is the rub when it comes to labor unions since the New Deal. And I'll get to that in a moment. What I wanted to just go over first is the nature of the employment contract. Because I think we have a lot of mysticism built up around this relationship as well. It's really not a special relationship with rules of its own. Special interest groups often put things in categories like healthcare, like it isn't just a combination of goods and services produced by people who specialize in those goods and services. That's really all it is. And the employment contract is at its heart a buyer-seller agreement. You have a buyer of labor services, an employer, who's looking to produce products. And in order to produce products, this employer has had to marshal all sorts of different inputs. And not just labor inputs. This employer has had to build a factory, let's say, and make agreements with suppliers for materials to produce the product. It's had to buy or lease the land that they built the factory on. It's had to do the research and development or buy somebody else's research and development to actually make this product. So there's a complicated set of inputs that makes products come out on the other end. And one of those inputs is labor. And when an employer is looking to either start a going concern or expand one, they put out notice that they're in the market to buy some labor services. Now, this person that is exploited, this employee, somebody we've all been or most of us have, is the seller in this relationship. And let's face it, we're pretty aggressive salespeople in this relationship. When we hear that somebody might be looking to purchase labor services we think we can provide, we send in our resume And then we politely badger this company to buy those services from us and not somebody else. And somehow or other, if the buyer agrees to buy from us, they're exploiting us because they're not paying us some arbitrarily higher price for our products. It's just kind of funny that we treat this relationship completely differently from any other buyer-seller relationship. In all other cases, we treat the seller with suspicion, something that I also don't particularly like. I hate the expression, he must be selling something. It's just part of the pervasive anti-capitalist, anti-market economy attitude that most Americans these days are imbued with. But in any case, as the sellers of these products, we put ourselves in this special class, this victim class that our customers, which are the employers who are buying our services or somehow exploiting us from doing so, 
Of course, we don't consider that we're exploiting Walmart by buying their products at the lowest price available on the market. Somehow that's okay. But be that as it may, around the turn of the 20th century, and and I don't want to lead people to believe there were no unions before then. Of course there were. But the idea came along that something had to be done about the terrible exploitation of sellers of labor by the purchasers of labor. And like every other pernicious trend in American history, it all starts with the progressive movement. But what happened during the 1930s was something far more drastic than even the awful Teddy Roosevelt had done previously. And that's that they passed the National Labor Relations Act of 1935. And really, this act, I would argue, destroyed unions, made them completely the opposite of what they could be, because they could be beneficial, and doomed American businesses that got caught up in dealing with labor unions to forever be at war with them. And why is that? Because what the National Labor Relations Act did was take what used to be a voluntary association, a buyer-seller agreement, where both sides were acting voluntarily, and made it involuntary. Now, when you read the act, and I'll post a link to it on the show notes page, it sounds all nice and warm and fuzzy, talking about how everybody has a right to form a union. But when you get to the section that talks about unfair labor practices, that's where you really have to think about what's going on. Because basically, what that section says is that employers can no longer say no. They can no longer choose to not purchase products from the union once it's formed. And as I've said about the free market many, many times before, the reason that it works is not because it's populated by superior people. It's because of the incentives. And it's because of the fact that all the transactions in a truly free market, the one that we would like, are voluntary, that everyone has to do their best. Everyone has to compete and get people to buy their products, choose what they're offering over all the competition. It's somewhat different the way libertarians look at the free market from conservatives. Conservatives will often emphasize competition and kind of take this attitude like, well, if you're not doing as well as you'd like to, that's too bad. That's competition. But the essence of the free market is that all exchanges are voluntary. And competition is a consequence of that reality that all exchanges are voluntary. Now, I know someone is going to post in the comments, are you saying that all exchanges are voluntary in our system, our capitalist system? Well, no, that's why I'm not happy with our system. I'd like it to be more capitalist. I'd like it to be a freer market, a laissez-faire market. Completely. I'd even like better institutions than the government out there making sure all the associations are voluntary because, let's face it, they've done a pretty crappy job since Adam Smith wrote his famous treatise. Let's take a short break for this important message. Friends, if you like to read books as much as I do, there comes a time when you realize you just won't ever find the time to read every book you're interested in. Well, I have great news. 
Blinkist offers the key ideas from nonfiction bestsellers in as little as 15 minutes. For most books and their extensive library, you can choose to read or listen to Blinks, which summarize the main ideas and allow you to absorb whole books in the time it takes to run your daily errands or commute to work. Not only does Blinkist allow you to glean the information you need from books you don't have time to read, it helps you to decide which ones to spend time reading and get more details. You can try out Blinkist for free and get 20% off your first year by going to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. That's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist. Start your free trial and get 20% off today. And now let's get back to the show. We help each other when we don't mean to. That's what we call the invisible hand. Something no politician understands. Just leave it up to supply and demand and follow the goal. But getting back to the relationship between employers and union employees, this law that they passed in the 30s basically took away all the incentive for labor unions to offer a competitive product. And of course, everybody who's been in a union shop or knows anyone who's been in a union shop knows that they literally do the the opposite. They encourage and even threaten fellow union members to slow down, don't work so hard. We negotiated a certain amount of output for a certain wage. And if you know you break the curve, so to speak, then the expectations on us are going to go up. This is not the way anyone behaves in a voluntary buyer-seller relationship, but this one is not voluntary. Because of the 1935 law, if a union forms, the employer has two choices, negotiate with the union or don't purchase the labor services at all. So that's not really a choice if you want to stay in business. So just think about the results of that, what are the incentives for the union? Well, the incentives for the union are to negotiate the highest possible price they can get in money and benefits and conditions for the lowest amount of labor service that they can deliver. And this is what has put the automakers in Detroit out of business multiple times is the cartoonishly terrible arrangements they've had with their labor force, the unrealistic compensation packages for substandard, low-quality, and low-volume work, which the union has no incentive to improve. Now, how would it work if everyone was acting voluntarily? Could you still have unions? Yeah, of course you could. But all the incentives would be different. And what would a union have to do in order to get an employer to pay a higher price for its members than the employer could find on the market for non-union members. Well, they'd have to deliver a better product. And how would they do that? Well, those union dues, instead of being political contributions or in some cases organized crime contributions like they are now, would become contributions towards training 
continuing education, things that would make the union member's product superior to those offering a lower rate for the same kind of work. Now, I know some unions go through the motions with this, but look, just stand back and look at the results. And this is not a a difficult cause-effect relationship to figure out. And it has nothing to do with the quality of people in the unions or that non-union workers are superior or that employers are more virtuous people than people who generally sell their labor services for a living. No, it's all a matter of incentive. One of the great things about human nature is how many obstacles it can overcome in pursuit ultimately of personal happiness and achievement. One of the bad things about human nature is human beings will naturally seek the most amount of happiness and comfort for the least amount of exertion and cost on their own part. So this is why the market works. It's not some magical thing. It's simple cause-effect relationships. The free market, a truly free market, where all transactions are voluntary, naturally incentivizes everybody to produce the best product, not because they want to make other people happy, at least not ultimately, but because that's the way that they can pursue their own happiness most effectively. As an obscure Western New York recording artist once wrote, that's what we call the invisible hand, something no politician understands. I think somebody in Scotland might have said that before him. So really, that's the way to understand the problem with labor unions in the economy, the New Deal fascist economy that we live in, quasi-capitalist, quasi-socialist, quasi-fascist, the so-called mixed economy. The problem is that you have a buyer and seller relationship and the buyer has a gun to his head. So of course, the seller can get away with murder. And this is really what's behind all of the anti-union sentiment and efforts by employers to prevent unions from forming is because they know once they form that they have no choice, that they will have to deal with that union or face lawsuits and enforcement of the National Labor Relations Act. And this is also the reason that unions have traditionally been quasi-criminal organizations with all kinds of strong-arm tactics and organized crime being involved with them. It all really relates to the fact that this 1935 law absolutely disrupted the natural buyer-seller relationship that uh, exists between employers and the people they purchase labor services from. So long-time listeners or uh, readers of my writing will know that I Don't hold the tyrant with the cigarette holder and the fake mid-Atlantic accent in very high regard. Well, here's one more reason. Here's one more thing that he absolutely ruined, destroyed, was the nature of the labor union and completely took away any chance for it to be a positive force in society. And as long as that law stands and laws written to augment its powers later, then we're going to have the same problem. On the other hand, if you get rid of that law and those written in furtherance of that law, people adapt pretty quickly. 
labor unions could be a positive force if they were participating in a voluntary market and had to deliver a product that was worth the higher wages that they demand from purchasers of labor services. So it doesn't have to be this way, folks. The fast way to a free market economy and a lot more prosperity and happiness for everybody right after cutting the military drastically and stopping the jobs program that's just warehousing people for no reason all over the world. After you do that, the next thing you do is repeal the New Deal root and branch. Every last bit of it, it's killing us and we're never going to have a free market economy until we do so. All right, that's a wrap for today, folks. I just wanted to remind you, as I always do, please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. I have my Patreon on the way. I'm just putting the final touches on the project I've been working on for the last two and a half months. I hope to turn that in at the end of the week and get right on finishing the Patreon and having some content there for paying members. So please do consider supporting the podcast and my writing, probably starting at least by the end of next week. And also, if you wouldn't mind, please do share the show notes page on your social media. That's a great way to get the word out. And don't forget, also, if you haven't downloaded my free ebook yet, It's the Fed Stupid, definitely do that today. Go to itsthefedstupid.com. It'll ask you for your email address. You'll be signed up for my newsletter, which you will thoroughly enjoy. I guarantee it, and you can unsubscribe anytime. But you'll be able to download a free copy of the ebook. And if you can spare it, please buy the paperback. Buy it for somebody else if you're going to read the electronic copy and help spread the word. Really, even after cutting the military drastically and repealing the New Deal root and branch, You've got to end the Fed. The Fed is the most economically destructive institution in our society. And until it is at first at least given some competition and eventually ended, you're never going to have a free market. So again, it's thefedstupid.com. Please feel free to share that URL with anybody else that might be interested. And if you like the music you've heard throughout Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, You can hear more at TomMullenSings.com. So thanks everyone for listening, and I'll see you on Friday. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.